If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Will you bow your heads with me? A talk show host, one who claimed to have talent on loan from you, Holy One, returned to you this week He died at an age that most of us would say was too young had he been our own dad. He was a son, a brother, a husband, and an uncle. His family and friends are grieving. But not everyone is mourning, and reasonably so. At one point, Rush had a segment on his show called AIDS Update, in which he mocked gay men who died of AIDS complications and blame them for the disease. He did not get any nicer over the years. Some have suggested that if we don't have anything nice to say about the dead, then we shouldn't say anything at all, but that sure wasn't Russia's policy. And of course, there's a nagging in our hearts about Jesus' line. Pray for those who persecute you, to which we want to say, not now, Jesus. Nevertheless, Jesus persists. So we do indeed pray for Russia's soul, Holy One, for like all of us, he will have to answer for what he did with the short time he had here. We promise to raise our children so that they find his words confusing and repulsive and shocking to people committed to love and to justice. We seek out those places in our own hearts that do not meet your expectations of compassion and mercy, lest we forget the plank in our own eye. Obviously, we need some practice, holy ones, so please keep near. We pray in the name of Jesus, whose teachings can be really hard to practice sometimes. Amen. The sermon this morning comes from the gospel according to Mark chapter 1 verses 9 through 15. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. 
And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Mark makes for a really good interviewee. That's what this text sounds like, a good interview for a news report. This is what they tell you when you're being interviewed by a reporter. Speak in sound bites. Otherwise, they'll clip your sentence in half whether it makes sense or not. Apparently, Mark is a pro at this. He never uses more words when less will do. In just seven short verses, we learn of three significant events in the life of Jesus as he begins his ministry. The first is baptism, where God claims Jesus as God's own. The second is Jesus' experience in the wilderness, where God sends angels to attend to him as he faces the accuser. And lastly, after John the Baptist's arrest, Jesus begins proclaiming God's proximity and reign while calling for repentance. But while Mark's brevity might be good for reporters, it is a bit problematic for preachers. What exactly is the preacher supposed to preach on given so much brevity? The baptism? There's not much to go on, not even why Jesus showed up in the first place. As far as we know, for 30 years, Jesus lived at home. For at least half those years, he must have been helping his father fill orders in the carpentry shop. And then suddenly, he decided to be baptized. No reason given as to why, just because. It is an interesting commentary on what faithfulness looks like. For as Reverend Bill Coffin observed, it appeared Jesus wasn't planning to return home at all, which suggests that adult baptism or joining a church means not so much renouncing your wild oats and settling down as it does abandoning your parents and hometown, a suggestion not made in our churches with great regularity. Or perhaps the preacher could use this Sunday to focus on the temptation in the wilderness. It is the first Sunday of Lent, after all, and these 40 days are built on Jesus' example of spending 40 days in the desert. But there's just two verses, and the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. We'd have to flip over to the Gospels of Matthew and Luke to hear the debate between Jesus and the devil. There's also a whole body of work, volumes and volumes, on how the reference to the wild beasts and angels mirrors stories from the Old Testament, that Jesus is retracing the steps of Israel's history to rewrite the ending. And it's possible Mark didn't spell it out more clearly because the original audience would have been more familiar with those references. We have to work a little harder to connect the dots. I will tell you that that line was not exactly shaping up to be a riveting sermon. So that draft got abandoned pretty early in the week. The last few verses of the text, the part about the beginning of the Galilean ministry, 
is just as sparse. I know you get it, there's not much there. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of the gospel and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe in the good news. Since there's not much of a narrative, the next best option for this piece would be to go on a deep dive into those theological terms. What time is fulfilled? What is the kingdom of God? What tense is the phrase, come near? What is repentance? What does it mean to believe? This tack, too, was not exactly shaping up towards a spellbinding sermon. Did I mention there was bitter cold and snow this week? In all honesty, the preacher is tired. All, all the preachers I know are tired. The way that you are tired. Tired of living through historical events. A still not over pandemic, virtual school, virtual work, virtual graduation, virtual birthday parties, virtual church, virtual funerals, a massive ice storm, an insurrection at the Capitol, a second impeachment, a nationwide vaccine rollout, and whatever frozen Arctic mess of a moment this last week has been, enough with having to live through and interpret significant moments. Except here is this text with nothing but significant moments, as in only significant moments, no details, nothing but the big, meaningful moments. Okay, we see you, God. But perhaps that's the T, that perhaps that's the tweet. We see you, God. In the verses we read today, those significant moments, the common thread in each account is God's closeness. These six verses hold a startling range of moments, public, private, and personal but all of which we find God extraordinarily present with Jesus. God is in the midst of all those people crowding around the bank of the Jordan River who are sensing that something is happening, knowing that for things to change, they must change. God was in the feeling Jesus got when he stepped forward and waded deeper and deeper into the water, mud between his toes, and well, it was as if the spirit blew so hard that the heavens were torn apart. God was there pushing Jesus into an uncomfortable and challenging place so he could wrestle with demons of the heart and mind. The details are a bit fuzzy, so we are simply told that he was tested by Satan, but also that wild beasts and angels waited on him. Perhaps God in the desert came as a wild rabbit or a nomad offering water. And then, then God was there when Jesus took those first steps towards a future that had not quite taken shape. And there wasn't anyone else around yet to encourage or comfort him. But God was helping Jesus to clear his throat and find his voice.
I am convinced that this is true for us. God is extraordinarily present with us. Again and again, God meets us where we are on the shoreline, debating whether we or not we are going to get our feet wet, in the wilderness, working to untangle what is knotted up in our souls. At every beginning, as we take our first shaky steps towards a future we cannot see, God meets us, ready to move us from sinking sand to solid ground, from navel-gazing to community, from personal pietism to justice for all, and away from behaviors, both personal and systemic, that frustrate God's vision for the world, God meets us again and again. Perhaps this is our Lenten journey, to keep an eye out for God wherever we find ourselves, in a crowd, in the quiet, in every single historic moment, or maybe just when we're washing dishes. Like any progressive preacher worth her salt, I'm going to let you define what that means. But if you are like me, it's helpful to have a place to start, especially when I'm tired. So I have a suggestion. Our homework this week, don't roll your eyes at me, our homework this week comes from an essay by author Sarah Bessie titled, Instructions for an Evening of Your Life. Hear her now. Find a bit of water to look at. It doesn't have to be much. Maybe a pond, a river, a creek, a lake. If you're really lucky, find the ocean. But go there alone at sunset. I know it seems indulgent and impossible. That's because it is. But every once in a while, the best way to keep moving through your life is to do something that seems impossibly kind for your own soul. So go, alone, late in the day, Leave behind the book, leave behind your prayer journal, leave behind the notebooks and schedule planning, leave behind your phone. If you're in a good spot, there won't be any reception anyway. And here is your assignment. Sit down and watch the water. That's exactly it. Sit in silence at the edge of the water and learn to be satisfied. This is the tricky part when your life is full with good and necessary and hard things, I know. Your mind will jump around from thing to thing to thing. You'll feel guilty and then you'll feel indolent. You'll feel like time has slowed down. You'll start to think that you need to make this time count for God. And so you'll start to formally pray in the ways that you were taught to pray. Stop that. Then you'll want to journal or read that about God book you've been meaning to get to because you think you really need to grow spiritually. And the only way to do that is to try harder. You'll get restless. 
You'll think of all the things you should be doing. You'll feel twitchy, perhaps. Then you'll remember how when you were a kid, you used to be able to just be in a place without compulsively needing to check text messages or chase around getting things done. And you'll think, I didn't used to be so fragmented and urgent. Be silent and watch the water. Do one thing right now and do it with your whole self. Prayer will come. It just might look a bit different than you expect. Rest will come to your mind. You have to wait for it in patience. This isn't the province of multitaskers. The middle distance of your mind will rise up and envelope you in an exhalation just as the sun begins to move towards the horizon. You'll start to notice life as it is happening in that moment. And this might begin to feel in your body like poetry is meant to sound. A fish will fly up out of the water and return, leaving only a ring of circles going farther and farther and farther out to every shore. You'll see a bird and, and try to figure out what kind, look at that elegant neck, swooping down low over the water, heading for the reeds. You'll see dragonflies swooping, and, and after a few times, you won't duck in a cringe anymore. You watch the clouds drift and the water move and the sun sink, and your soul will begin to stretch out into the space left open. This is not only what you need, this is what you want what you desire, and even those are sacred things at times. Before you know it, your hands will find a spot to rest, and your breath will slow down. Become acquainted with the silence in your own soul. You might be surprised by the sound of you. Sometimes you might rise up in gratitude and thanksgiving. Other times, the pain you're finally allowing yourself to feel might be overwhelming. Sometimes your soul feels like worship, and sometimes this feels like encountering a stranger. Do I know you? Then sometimes it might simply feel like a good friend you haven't seen in far too long, and you'll think, why don't I do this more often? Let the sun set over the water. Be baptized in the gracious last light of the day, the satisfied light. Close your eyes and feel the light against your darkness warming you. When the sun has disappeared, the light remains. And when the night sinks down in shades of indigo and navy blue, you'll be ready to be with friends in the night and the silence and hopefully with your own soul at last. The first star of the evening will appear at last like a benediction for the patient and faithful ones. And when you have done this, let us know how God met you, beloveds, for we trust that it happens again and again. Amen.
You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are currently online only, premiering at 11 a.m. on Mayflower's Facebook page. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.